I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Quit Your Day Job. I am Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. Am I wearing sweatpants while I record this? You will never know. This podcast is all about dream jobs, the ones you wished you had when you were a kid and the ones you pin up on your vision board. I decided to chase after my dream jobs in 2020 by taking unpaid internships at four of them. I quit my job as CEO of a philanthropy consulting business to try my hand working on Broadway, in fitness, as an art dealer, and at a hotel. And then I wrote a book about my experience, which will be out in 2023. I am psyched to share my story with you, but in the meantime, I'm bringing you a few others, real people who work really cool jobs. So before you quit your day job to go be a painter or an actress or a life coach, listen in and see what it's really like behind the scenes. Hi, this is Alicia Fernandez-Miranda and welcome to Quit Your Day Job. We have a very special guest today. Natalie Jordy, in tandem with Ash NYC, developed the 71-room Hotel Peter and Paul in a former Catholic school, rectory, church, and convent in the Maroney, which is an amazing part of New Orleans if you've never been. Previously, she was a co-founder of People's Pops, an ice pop manufacturer and retailer in New York City, as well as a travel journalist, bicycle guide, and cheesemonger. I have known Natalie since we were 14 years old, and I remember a few other jobs that she's done that I might remind her of during this podcast. She currently lives in the Maroney with her husband and two children and is amazing at many, many, many things, which we're going to talk about today. So Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I know you were bullied into doing this and you couldn't have said no, but I'm okay with that. Okay. So before we get into the very serious and important questions about your job and your life, I have a little fun lightning round. I'd like to do five quick questions. And I just want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Now, I believe I know some of the answers to these a lot if we were on the newlywed game or something like that, but we're going to see if I'm right. You should answer them for me. Maybe I'll like secretly answer them after. If if you stump me, one or two, I don't know. If you stump me, we'll see. Okay, question one. Are you ready? Ready. Early riser or night owl? Night owl. Yeah, always, always has been. (laughs) Always has been. It's true. No questions there. Okay, number two. What is the best room at the hotel? Uh, My favorite room is the Mother Superior Suite. It's in the convent at the front. It's very private. It has five big windows. It has uh, what we call the wet room that has a shower and a tub in it. It has amazing view of the stained glass windows of the church that glow at night. And I think it's just very tranquil and peaceful and private and serene. And it's where Sister Pam, the last kind of mother superior of the school before it closed lived. She lived in that room for 25 years. So I'd like to think a little bit of her spirit is still there. Oh, amazing. What room did I stay in with the bathtub in the middle of the bedroom? 
Oh, that's the rector's repose. That's our other fanciest room. That's my favorite room at the hotel, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I watched a lot of friends from that bathtub, let me tell you, when I was there. Okay, question three, popsicles or ice cream? Well, obviously popsicles. Really? Even even now? I mean, I do love ice cream, People's pop days are over? Okay. No, but I mean, you know, I've always got popsicles in my heart. Amazing. Okay, number four, New Orleans or Miami? Ooh, well, I mean, again, New Orleans is what's near and dear to my heart. But having spent a lot of time in Miami during COVID, I have to say it gave me a new appreciation for how lucky we were to grow up there and what a special city it is. Okay. And finally, perhaps the most important question of this recording, Café Dumont or Café Beignet? Mm. You know, I used to be a Café Beignet girl because it was like the one that was a little bit less known. But Actually, I think I need to change my mind now and say Café du Monde because it is such a tourist trap, but there's, but it's, but it's, it admits it, you know? And I think it's just, it's amazing that it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it's just kind of been there, a cornerstone of the French market for so long that I think it kind of, it like, it's so uncool that I actually think it's pretty cool. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Natalie Jordy has changed her mind. And there is an amazing Café du Monde in a park. What park is it that we went City to last park. time? Yes, a satellite location. I guess that's the real hack, right? You get the cafe, you get Cafe du Monde, but you're surrounded by trees and beauty and peace. Yeah, that is an amazing New Orleans spot. So, all right, you survived the lightning round. How do you feel? I feel good. Keep them coming. <laughs> amazing. Okay, well, we'll we may get into more quick questions, but I want to start talking about really why we're here, which is your incredible job. So I think a lot of people dream about what it might be like to run a hotel. I think a lot of people think that they'll like inherit a rundown Scottish castle and there'll be like a super handsome handyman who comes along with it. And then that will be their dream for their life, like every Netflix movie that's ever been made. I know that wasn't quite your experience, but tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Sure. Myself and some partners co-founded the Hotel Peter and Paul, which is a 71-room hotel in my neighborhood in New Orleans that is a rehabilitation of a former Catholic school, rectory, church, and convents that were built in the 1800s and functioned as a Catholic school and church for you know over 100 years until they uh, closed and sat empty for many, many years. And then we, we were able to transform them into this new use. So My official title is Mother Superior after Sister Pam, but in the last year since COVID, I've also become the general manager of the hotel. And so my job is a very mixed bag of the macro and the micro and just making sure, you know, just trying to keep the train on the tracks with everything that's been coming at us. Yeah. I mean, it's been an insane time. There's probably no average day, but if you had an average day, what would it look like? Sure. So it starts off with me walking to the hotel from my house, which is just four blocks away. I check in with the front desk. I check in with the coffee shop, find out anything I need to know about the night before. You know, I'm just thinking about like two days ago, I had a meeting in the coffee shop with wedding planner who had some feedback for us about how we could make our venue a little bit more friendly to planners, some different services that we could provide. Meet with my managers to understand what's going on in the different departments, housekeeping, maintenance, events, HR, front desk. And, you know, then I might be troubleshooting an issue with our booking engine or, you know, having a conversation about our insurance claim from the damage from Hurricane Ida or thinking about a cool culture event that we're going to have in the church building, like a piece of theater or a fashion show 
or working on a collaboration with a local florist who wants to put on a Easter market. So it's it changes every day. And, you know, sometimes I have so many back-to-back meetings that by the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I haven't responded to a single email. I've come and spent all night <laughs> responding to all those emails. And then, you know, rinse, repeat over and over again. But I do, I love it. And I feel like, you know, the the more I work on it, the better it gets. And so that's a real motivator for me. I mean, I, I know I don't have to work as hard as I do. I don't have to work as hard as I do, but I think I do because I love it and I want it to be wonderful. Yeah. And it is an incredibly special place. Now you are kind of like a cat with nine lives, like a job cat. So I didn't, when you sent your bio, I remembered bicycle guide, travel journalist, cheesemonger, of course, popsicle entrepreneur. You were an Uber driver for a period of time, Mm -hmm. as I recall, very pregnant. You were a smoothie barista, memorably in Miami, where you're not making sun juice, sun juice smoothies for everybody. So you've had quite a journey that is not really a typical graduate, go to hospitality school, and then move into the biz. So can you take us through your career journey and what eventually brought you to the hotel? Sure. And just as a point of clarification, as a former journalist and someone who's married to a journalist, I never actually worked at Sun Juice. I think I just hung out there so but much. But you were there all the I time. Did. I was there all the time. I loved their smoothies, but I never actually got a job there. Oh my God. When I, I was have... in high school, I worked as a waitress at the the diner, you know, that old drugstore diner on the corner of Red Road and Bird Road. I worked at in the mall when you also worked in the mall at Arango at that design furniture store. Oh God. And I think those were the two jobs that I had. Okay. That was a really cool job. It, this was this like very modern design furniture store. And I worked at the information booth <laughs> and it was, I had the most, we embarrassing, the most embarrassing outfit. Uh, Natalie was the only person that would be seen with me because otherwise people were embarrassed <laughs> to pretend like they knew me. I had to wear a scarf tied around my neck. So that was my vivid memory. But apologies, like you did not work at Sun Juice, but you definitely clocked enough hours there that you probably should have gotten paid. Yes. But so you've done more jobs than maybe anybody I know. So take us through your path to hospitality. Sure. So after I graduated from um, college, I moved to Europe for a few years because with both of my parents being European, I had the necessary visas and whatnot. And I spent about seven years vagabonding a little bit, you know, working, supporting myself by writing freelancing for food and travel magazines. I worked in a cheese shop. I worked on a farm. I translated books. I worked as a bike guide. And at the time, it definitely seems a little bit all over the map. But in hindsight, I realized that all of those exposures that I had there really actually led me to where I am today, which is, you know, it really, for, I, I would say it was very formative in creating a vision of what, what I think a wonderful hospitality is in terms of aesthetics, but also service and amenities and offerings. And so, so I, I do feel like in, in hindsight, it, it actually does all make sense, even though it didn't at the time. I mean, I definitely think it makes sense. And you you started You business. didn't at the time. Well, I was not the one that said you were meandering. I think that was my dad, actually. Yes, that's right. I was Your very dad supportive. Gave me a lot of guff. Your dad gave me a lot of guff. I got a lot of free cheese out of my relationship with you, which has really been worth it. And the popsicles were great too. But you started a really successful business. You built off the back of this idea to make popsicles at a market, and you turned it into a business where with retailers and outlets all over New York. And then with that kind of success and job in your back pocket, you decided to leave and go and start something new. What was the impetus for that? 
Yes. So I had sort of accidentally started this popsicle business in New York City with my high school prom date, who you know as well, having gone to high school with us, David Carell, and his roommate at the time, Joel Horowitz. Joel was working in TV production. David was working for Good Morning America. And I was waitressing and working at a bookstore in New York City. But a friend of mine was putting on a market and offered me a stand. And uh, we decided to make some popsicles, ice pops, I guess I should say. And that turned into a business that we had for eight. I think I was part of it for eight years before I sold my pieces to Dave and Joel, who then kept it going for a few years and then sold it to the people who now have it. And that was an amazing journey of just like growth that we could not really keep up with. And so in the midst of that, I started dating somebody in New Orleans, who's now my husband and Tulane offered me a full scholarship for an MBA. It seemed like a good opportunity since the popsicle business was so seasonal to take some time out of it and kind of bone up on the hard business skills that all of us lacked, you know, the Excel spreadsheets and the marketing plans and, you know, financing and things like that. And while at the same time, kind of testing, testing, seeing, seeing if this relationship had legs. So I fell in love with New Orleans. I fell in love with Brett, who's now my husband. And so after another couple of years of commuting between New York and New Orleans, I decided to sell my shares in the popsicle business and that we would um, make our life in New Orleans. And so one of the things I realized while in New Orleans was that I felt like before I had met Brett and spent time in our neighborhood, I had only ever visited the French Quarter, which is typical for most tourists coming to New Orleans. They never leave the quarter. And the quarter is amazing, but there's so much else that's rich and special about New Orleans in the neighborhoods. And I felt like if I was a traveler to New Orleans, the Marigny, the neighborhood we live in, is where I would want to be. So that was the genesis of the idea for the hotel was, and this was kind of pre-Airbnb and it was pre there being very atmospheric, to my mind, hotels in New Orleans, because most of them were either these tiny little B&Bs or, you know, a Hyatt, a Hilton, a Sheraton or something like that. And there wasn't really that sweet spot that I look for when I travel of like wonderful design and a real sense of place and wonderful service as well. And so that's what I wanted to create. So that's kind of where the, where the idea came from. It took about five years before we actually opened the hotel. Then we opened in 2018. We were open for about a year and a quarter. Then COVID hit. And now it's been almost two years of kind of trying to make it through COVID and hopefully coming out the other side. Yeah. In that period, you did a lot of different things while you were waiting for permits, waiting for financing, waiting for all sorts of things to prepare yourself for this job that you had never done before. So you hadn't run a hotel. What kind of prep did you do? Yes. So I think that my background as a journalist helped me just ask questions and talk to anybody who would talk back to me about every aspect of the operations. And I was lucky that people were very generous with their time and like willing to help this person who knew nothing. So I kind of approached it like a magpie, just gathering string about all different sorts of things. The whole first year, I worked at a hotel in the French Quarter while just educating myself, putting together a business plan, looking at property in the neighborhood. I was looking at 20 to 25 rooms initially. That's what I thought I could manage. That's what I thought I could afford. Brett and I were going to live there and I would be the general manager. But as I put together business plans, I just realized there was nothing that really made financial sense because real estate in the neighborhood was already kind of high enough that it wasn't going to pencil out. And then the buildings that we eventually did buy came uh, up as a possibility, but it was much too big and too ambitious for me to imagine doing on my own. At that time, I had started talking to Ari Heckman from Ash NYC, who's now my business partner. They had just opened their first hotel in Providence, Rhode Island, where I went to college. 
And I really admired what they had done there in terms of working with local artisans and having, creating, cultivating a real sense of place. And so when we talked, he said, yeah, we're ready for our next project. And New Orleans is really high on our list, but we don't know anybody down there and we don't know the lay of the land. And I said, come down, let's look at some stuff together. And so we looked at the former St. Peter and Paul buildings. And he was like, this, I have to credit him with that. He, he had the vision. He was like, this is it. I was like, what? That's crazy. Like, no, we could never, we could never achieve that. It's too, and can you just describe you know, Nat for people what, what it was like when you saw it that first time? So it was this, a whole city block of these beautiful, but crumbling brick buildings that were just a home for like pigeons for the, for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, you know, just like, but very special, but what that, the, the kind of hard renovation of it wasn't what scared me off. What I thought was going to be impossible was getting the neighborhood to sign on because we live in a very activist neighborhood, a very a neighborhood that's very proud of itself, quite rightly. I mean, I'm I'm someone who lives here too, and I feel very proud of it. And so I and I was not in, interested in becoming involved with something controversial. So and I had seen a lot of development projects that had been proposed in my neighborhood fail because people did not like it and 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 fought it down. And I, I wasn't I did not have the stomach for that kind of a battle. So that's why when Ari said, this is it, I was like, well, yes, it's very special, but it's just never going to happen. Right. Even develop, I had seen development proposals for even our site fail for like residential, you know, condos and things like that. So, which is, which is not like a nightclub, you know, I mean, so I just didn't think it was going to work, but we thought about it. We spoke with the neighborhood association. We tried to understand what, what was important to people we made ourselves extremely available. I mean, we're supposed to have, we're required to have one public meeting. I think we had five. I think I had like almost 70 one-on-one meetings with neighbors to try to understand, you know, what they thought about it or what they would want. And so we came up with a plan where we said, look, we're not going to demolish any existing historic buildings. We're not going to build anything new. We are not going to subdivide the church into smaller pieces because apartments, that was one of their ideas was to subdivide the church. We said, no, we can keep the guest rooms in the three other buildings and keep the church as an uninterrupted volume for private events, public events, community events. And crucially, we had quite a lot of parking. And we made the argument that a lot of people don't come to the hotel, don't come to hotels with a car, which is true, you know, less so than let's say if it was apartments or something like that. And I think we were somewhat lucky in that the buildings had been vacant for so long, but they were historic and special. And so people did know that something was going to happen there. And they took a chance on us. They said, okay, you know, she lives in the neighborhood. I had been going to neighborhood meetings for years. So that was a familiar face. And they they put the trust in us and waited to see if we were going to deliver on our promises because we did make a lot of promises. And so now three years in, that's one of the things I'm proudest of is the relationship that we've, you know, been able to cultivate with all those neighbors who are also my own personal neighbors. And that, and I feel like people, we, there's a lot of goodwill in the community and that's been some, that was something that was very important starting out that I'm, I'm very proud of having achieved. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I remember, well, tell me if I remember this correctly, but I think I remember you maybe maybe you were pregnant with one of the boys and you did like office hours. Is that right? And you would go sit yeah. in a cafe in the area and just kind of let people come and talk to you about whatever they wanted to with concerns right. with the project. It was so awesome. I love yeah. that you did that. And then you also drove an Uber and you talked to tourists about what they were doing in New Orleans, right? That's right. I mean, there was, you know, it was about six months of zoning planning, you know, trying to get the zoning changed. And that was the, the like open ears process of trying to trying to see if we could get people on board because we did have to get hundreds of letters from neighbors and support and go through all kinds of board meetings with the city planning commission and city council and all that. That process took about six months and I was pregnant with my first child. Then it took about a year and a half to design it, come up with a budget. And then we ran into a brick wall when we were looking for financing. That's usually a 60 day process, but we underestimated the utter lack of appetite amongst the local banking community for a project like ours. They thought it was too small. They did not like the neighborhood. They didn't like that it was independently flagged, which is to say that it wasn't managed by a recognizable brand like Hilton or Sheraton or whatever like, like that. And so every bank in town said no. And so we spent another year and a half looking for financing. And during that time, I started driving an Uber and my the Ace Hotel had just opened. And that was kind of the first of the new style hotels in New Orleans that had some of the attributes that I was mentioning earlier. So my my kind of like routine was to pull up in front of the ACE, especially since a lot of people from the ACE were going to the airport, which is like a pretty good fare. And I would pick them up and then ask them, you know, how, how they liked New Orleans, how they liked the ACE, what they had done with their time and just sort of try to gather data basically. Amazing. And so I did that when I was pregnant with my second child. And then right after he was born, the financing finally came through. Then we spent a, about a year and a half under construction and then finally opened in October, 2018. And it was a long time, and you make it sound almost like it was inevitable, I guess, because you are there now. But, you know, were there moments in the process where you just thought, there's no way this is going to happen? And, I mean, were you afraid? Were you afraid that it just wasn't going to go forward? Yes, a lot, because it took so long. But I was so stuck in by that time. I was so heavily invested that there was kind of no turning back. I think if if I had been a little bit less stuck in and invested, I probably would have been like, okay, this isn't going to work. But when you pour like your entire life savings and the investments of your family and your friends, and <laughs> I mean, you just have no choice. You just have to keep <laughs> at it until it works. And I really don't know what, what I would have done. I mean, that, that is one of the benefits of real estate, I guess, in comparison with like a startup where there is something tangible. So even if you fail, you can kind of resell it, even right. if, even if it, you were to sell it at a loss or something like that. But yeah, there were many moments when I wondered if it was going to work. And there were many moments of just like the tedium of waiting. I mean, of course, I kept myself busy because I'm I'm someone who does not thrive on like spare time. <laughs> 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 so I mean, so like a lot, I mean, just to give an example, right? During that year of financing when I was driving to Uber, I did an oral history project with former members of the St. Peter and Paul community, people who had been students at the school or parishioners at the church or, uh, you know, a nun 
janitor, you know, basically people who had an affinity with the place. And I just got to know them and, and listen to their stories. And so when it came time to put the website together for the hotel, I hired some videographers to film short, like three minute videos with five of the people that I thought had the most compelling stories. And those live on our website now. And so I just kind of busied myself with little projects of that nature. That's awesome. That, that, that helped me that were of course related to the project, but that I think enrich it because it helps kind of keep the story alive. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that the history, the story, the the sense of place that you have there is really, it's, I, I've never been anywhere else like it really that feels so much part of its community and part of its history just in the kind of bones of the building. So you have done an incredible job. Now I have to ask you a very important question because as you know, I interned briefly at a hotel myself during my project, my internship project. And one thing that I really struggled to get used to was how personal it sometimes got with people because hotels are sort of a place where you go in and you almost feel like maybe you're free, you're away from home, nobody's watching, you're in your four walls. So I had some extremely embarrassing moments, including walking in on someone undressed in the wrong room. That's going to be in the book, people. So wait, wait for that, <laughs> 2023. But have you just, do you, does that not even phase you? Like when you have like a really, really personal situation, do you just, are you able to kind of just say, okay, this is, this is just my job and I'm going to just move forward with it. I mean, are there ever times where you just are like, oh my God, I cannot deal with all of the personalness that's coming through? Honestly, no, I'm not great at it because I do take it so personally. If someone has a bad experience at the hotel, I'll literally spend a whole sleepless night over it. And because I'm, it's not, I'm not detached from it. It is, it, it does. I mean, they're not attacking me personally or whatever, but I feel like I failed and so I think it would probably be healthier for everyone involved if I was able to compartmentalize and have a little more detachment. But on the flip side, I mean, as you said before, and I agree with you, I think part of what makes the hotel special is this feeling that, that there's so much care and effort. And so, you know, even when we fall short, we, there's usually a reason for it. I mean, of course, an explanation is not and an excuse, you know, I'm not here just to make excuses or whatever, but we definitely have struggled through coronavirus with labor shortages. And, uh, you know, sometimes people, most people just completely understood that with COVID, you know, there were going to be supply chain issues or that certain amenities weren't going to be possible. But some people like just kind of thought that everything should be like it always had been. And so, you know, it's, it is hard in that, in that circumstance. But sometimes if you just explain the situation to people, they realize, oh, you're humans too. And you're making an effort. And of course, service recovery is something that we, we work very hard on because every, everybody's going to make mistakes, but really it's how you recover from your mistake. That is the true test. And sometimes you end up with happier people on the other side than if you hadn't made the mistake at all. And service recovery is just to find that for people service like recovery might not like know what it means. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's like fixing a mistake. You know, for right. example, if somebody, you know, felt like they had a really loud room and they slept poorly all night, it's like, how are you going to recover from that? How are you going to fix it? Right. I mean, I had a, I remember a, a, a guest who had like an incident where like what she hurt her foot, basically she hurt her toe and her toenail fell off oh, and she lived in Austin, Texas. <laughs> See, personal. I got her. No, I know. I know. And I found out where she likes to get pedicures and I got her a gift certificate to her favorite pedicure place in Austin. Oh my and I God. felt like, you know, and so now she like, you know, she was like super happy with that outcome and I was super happy with that outcome. And so I'm, I'm sorry that her foot got hurt, but I feel like, you know, we fixed it and we came yeah. out better on the other side. So that's, that's an example of, of like things, you know, ways we try to, to go above and beyond, even when we screw up. 
Do you feel like there's a particular personality type that's best suited to the kind of job that you do? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I really couldn't say, but yeah, probably. I mean, I think somebody who's unflappable and I will say that going through COVID, I have become much tougher. I, it's not like I, I, you know, wish that, <laughs> that things had gone down the way they have gone down, but I really am better at not sweating the small stuff and having, yeah. I mean, like kind of nothing faces me anymore. It's like, Oh, you know, like another lockdown. Okay. Well, we've done this before. Whereas, I mean, I, I'm sure everybody remembers that, that in March, 2020, when they told us that school was going to be canceled for three weeks and we were like, it's the end of the world. Yes. And now it's like, okay, it's just another Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, are you, because I'm definitely not unflappable when I hear news of school being canceled. That's the one thing that well, really, yeah. it flaps me. It flaps me a lot. <laughs> Natalie, this has been amazing. One thing I ask all of my guests is what advice would you have for someone of any age, 20s, 40s, 60s, that felt like they wanted to go into the hotel business? What advice would you give them? I guess I would it depends what, what aspect of the hotel business they're going into. But I think that people often will think it's like very glamorous to be a hotel owner. And sometimes it is, but for the most part, it's really just minutia and detail. And so, so I just want people to kind of have a, and that's probably true of most industries where like what looks glamorous is actually just undergirded by, it's like a synchronized swimmer, right? It looks beautiful and graceful above the surface, but underneath everybody's just like furiously swimming. Right. So I think it's important for people just to have a realistic expectation of what they're going to be spending their time doing. Because I do actually, you know, maybe once a month I get a phone call from someone who's like, I'd like, you know, I'd, I'd really like to open a small hotel in this, you know, place that I have a, you know, vacation home or whatever. And they think that what they're going to be doing is like hosting dinner parties you know, every night and there's a lot more to it. <laughs> is is that is that my husband Carlos calling you and saying that because he's constantly <laughs> going on about this and I'm always like, um, I'm pretty sure it's harder than you look. But you, Natalie, do a really good job of making it look effortless and like it comes naturally to you. So thank you so much for everything. Now, final thing, where can people learn more about the hotel and find out more information? www.hotelpeterandpaul.com and my personal publicist, Alicia Fernandez Moranito. That's right. I just want you to know they are not sponsoring me, but I better get a free ice cream sundae next time I come to New Orleans, which I cannot wait for that. Nat, thank you so much for joining us on Quit Your Day Job and have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a Zcast production and want to send huge thanks to the whole Zibby Books team for their support. Find me on Instagram at Alicia F. Miranda. I would love to hear what you thought about the episode, future jobs you want me to profile, or the burning questions you think I should ask my upcoming guests. And if you decide to quit your day job, let me know. <laughs>